The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew from the 14th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Our Gospel this morning is from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33, and can be found on page 1520 in your pew Bible. Matthew records, <clears throat> Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there all alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, and he caught him. You of little faith, he said, why? Did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. So the events uh, of today's gospel, they take place right after Jesus fed the 5,000. That was 5,000 men plus additional women and children. And you recall from last week that Jesus used a few dinner rolls and a couple of sardines from a little boy's lunch basket. And he fed all of those people they, until they had their full, their fill, and then picked up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. And you would think at this sign, that after seeing this sign, the people would begin to understand who this man was. But they don't. They didn't. Not yet. So the Apostle John tells us in John 6 that when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet 
who is to come into the world. And Jesus, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And instead of seeing the Messiah, who had come to take away the sins of the world, they saw a potential king who could give them a really nice free lunch over and over. They saw an earthly king of power instead of a heavenly savior from sin. And Jesus had to act quickly in order to defuse this situation. You'll recall the text said this. It tells us immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. The words immediately and made mean that Jesus really hustled. He didn't do this quietly. He did he just get on the boat and they did. He hustled the disciples into the boat. He acted quickly to dismiss the crowds. And he not only dismissed the crowds, but he also left the scene so that no one could find him. He went up on the mountain to pray. And then what a contrast we see at the end of today's gospel where we read, those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. There is no doubt that as the calm descended on the boat, everyone on the boat understood that Jesus is God, and they worshipped him as such. And the Holy Spirit used the events of the night, and especially, especially the words and the works of Jesus, to change their understanding. When Jesus hustled the disciples into the boat and he sent them on the voyage, that should have only lasted a few hours. Just a few hours. And instead, while Jesus prayed on the mountain, the disciples, they were struggling. They struggled for their lives on that Sea of Galilee. And it seemed as if the wind and the sea had come to life and had conspired to be determined to torment these disciples. And if the disciples had tried to go to shore, they probably would have been broken apart on the rocks, and they would have died. And as far as they were concerned, their only hope they had was to battle the wind and the waves out there on that Sea of Galilee and just hope that they survived the storm. Now, the only problem is, is that we read that the storm lasted all night long. And the reading tells us that Jesus came to the disciples during the fourth watch. And the fourth watch, well, that ended at dawn. And the disciples, they must have been exhausted. And they were operating on what can only assume pure adrenaline. And it's possible, perhaps, that The eastern sky had gone from dark black to kind of a gray and just beginning to turn gray with the promise of a dawn. And then the disciples look out over the waves and they saw a figure on a stroll on top of the waves. 
coming towards them. And in their exhausted state, they thought that Jesus was a ghost. They thought he was a ghost that had come, was coming to escort them to a watery death. And it is no wonder that these guys did not shriek in the purest terror. They were afraid. You know, the disciples, they remind me so much of our natural state as we are born into this world. You see, most people believe in some sort of God, a little G God. You know in your Bible, anytime you see the big G, you know that's God. You see little G, those are the little idol gods. So most people believe in some sort of a little G God, but the general concept of a little G God goes something like this. <clears throat> the people of the world say, if I do the best that I can to obey my little G God's will, he will make up the difference and get me into heaven. As long as I do my best, my little G God will do the rest. If I do my best, my little G God will bless me. If I am not receiving any blessings, then I must not be doing my best, and I need to try harder. And you know, things can seem to go along pretty good with that kind of a theology of a little G God. They can go real well in a home-brewed concept of little G gods until we encounter a crisis. Something so big that causes us to rethink our lives. For the disciples, it was a life-threatening storm. But the crisis can take many other forms. Maybe, maybe it's a doctor. And the doctor says something like, you know, I don't really like the look of that spot. I'd like to take a biopsy and send it to the lab. Maybe... A crisis sounds like this. It's a late night voice that says, Hi, Dad. I'm fine. I just wrecked your car. Or I'm in jail. Whatever it is, we begin to think back over our lives when the crisis comes, and we see that we have not lived a big G God pleasing life. And as the crisis causes us to review our lives, whatever that crisis may be, we realize that we have loved our own pleasure more than we love God. We have placed our agenda above God's agenda. The honesty and clarity of a crisis forces us to look back over our lives and realize that we truly deserve to drown in the sea of our own sin and then suffer in the fires of hell. And if God judges, God the Father Almighty, true God, if he judges us under our own natural understanding, then the only thing that can happen is that he'll find us guilty 
and sentence us to eternal doom. But, but, the true God is not the little g God that we expect. The true God comes to us with the gospel. And how comforting it must have been for those disciples to hear the words come across the water, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. It was not death, but it was life that walked toward them on the water. It was their beloved master, their savior, who came to them in the midst of a crisis to bring them their salvation. And the gospel emphasizes the fact that Jesus came to them. And the words, walking on the sea, you know, they're just merely added there to let us know how Jesus got there. He walked on the top of the waves. And the important thing in this narrative, <clears throat> it's not that Jesus walked on the water, but it is that he came to rescue his disciples. And you know, Jesus, you do know, Jesus did a lot more than walk on water to save his people. The ultimate expression of his desires, desire to save us, well, it comes from the cross. And, and for it is on the cross that Jesus became the greatest sinner. Jesus became the greatest sinner of all time. Not with his own sin, but with your sin and my sin and the sin of the entire world put upon him. And the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> well, inspired Paul to write this in uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Paul writes, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Jesus carried that sin to the cross and he sacrificed himself in order to remove that sin from the world. Here's how that worked. When Jesus died, that sin died. The sin of the whole world died with him. And when Jesus rose, he left the sin in the grave where it can have no power over us over those who are in Christ. Now, Jesus comes to each and every one of us, and he brings salvation to us. He does not come on the water of the sea, but he comes in the water of baptism. When, when God's water is joined with God's word, according to God's command, the old natural man who enslaved us to sin is drowned. He dies with all sins and evil desires, and in his place, a new holy man arises who lives before God in righteousness and purity forever. Now, it's true that no life, no life 
has only one crisis. And we see that in today's gospel as Peter tried to walk on the water. They had the crisis of the storm. Peter gets out of the boat. The Bible doesn't really tell us why Peter asked to walk on the water. But we know Peter, right? After all, it doesn't seem like Peter often has a reason for doing what he does. He's just Peter. Regardless of that, there is Peter asking, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And we know it must have been okay because Jesus said, come. And so Peter did. He got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. And then we read that Peter began to realize that what he was doing. And he got so distracted by the wind that he began to sink. And in an instant, Peter had gone from an example of God's power at work in us and in him to an example of human doubt and failure. And all Christians go through this. We go through this struggle in some way. Paul said, he described it this way, his struggle. In Romans chapter 7, he said, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Look, every day we face the terror of our own sin. We face its desire to take back control of our lives. And fortunately, our baptism is not a one-time thing. We live continually in our baptism as, as we daily join Peter and we cry out to God in prayer, Lord, save me. Now Martin Luther wrote this in the small catechism. He writes, baptizing with water indicates the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires. And that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. In today's gospel, Jesus responded to Peter's prayer immediately. He put out his hand, and with a touch, just a touch, he brought Peter back to the surface, and the two of them got into the boat. And Peter was safe with his Lord once again. Now Jesus also promised to be with us, all of us, until the end of the age. And when we sin, he rescues us. His almighty power is always with us to keep us safe with him forever. He left his throne on high, and he died on the cross to save us. 
And he is not, he is not going to let us get away from him again. In the name of Jesus, amen.